It has been a crazy 10 years here at our church. Curious, has anyone been a part of our uh, church 92 ministries for 10 years or more? Hands there. One. All right, Austin, you win. Just you. Maybe two or three. There's Rose. There's Gary the bag. All right, three out of a few hundred of us here today. Um, what, what God has done, and I say this, uh, hopefully not boasting or bragging in any way, what God has done over the last decade here at both of our campuses has been unique and wonderful and complicated and insane and so joyful. And because most of you weren't there, let me show you just a glimpse of what I'm talking about. Back in 2014, just as my family was moving here to Appleton, our North Appleton campus called St. Peter built this massive, new, beautiful church. What had once been a small country church up on French Road exploded into something more with people of all ages from all backgrounds hearing the good news of Jesus, their Savior. Four years later, our church began a partnership with Time of Grace, which you heard about today. I'm not sure if you know this, but uh, Time of Grace pays my entire salary back to 922 Ministries, which allowed us, for the first time in our history, to bring on our first full-time worship director. So we're able to add on Jonathan Favor, the man who is playing guitar today, who just blessed our music in such profound and amazing ways. But God wasn't done. Because <laughs> in 2020, this happened. <laughs> Have you heard the story? We were at our old church location on Franklin Street. We kind of liked it. We thought we'd be there for many years, but we didn't own the parking lot. And the people who had just bought the parking lot decided to turn it into their Wisconsin winter snow dump site. We show up for church one day. There's literally a mountain of snow the side of our church building and signs up that say no parking. We thought, "Uh uh-oh, we need to do something. We start looking. We find this old building which had been vacant. Remember this? For three years, the old Thompson Community Center. No one wanted to touch it. It was kind of crazy inside. I walked in, looked around and said, no, this would not make a good church. Which proves you shouldn't always listen to the pastor because sometimes they're very, very wrong. Uh, we bought it for a bargain basement price, uh, remodeled it, and now it has been just such a, a gift to our church family and our worship life. Oh, but that wasn't it either. Because two years later, in 2022, that happened, a massive school addition at our St. Peter campus, which allowed us to serve hundreds and hundreds of more students from Monday to Friday, from late August to late May, with the simple message of Jesus' love, which we find in the scriptures. And just because we were exhausted and tired, we decided to do this then after that. This year, 2023, we opened about 50 feet that way in the same building, the Lighthouse Youth Center, to serve not just the teenagers from our church, but especially those in our community. Project after project after project after project for the last 10 years. It has been like 92 miles an hour here at our ministry. But that's not even the best part. The best part are the 99% of you that didn't raise your hands. That in the last 10 years have come to call this your church home. For many of you, your first ever church home. The first church you've regularly attended for the first time in a long time. Maybe the place where you first like, understood the forgiveness of your sins. What the cross actually means. That your eternity is set and guaranteed because of what Jesus did. The, the people that have gathered here have been the biggest blessing. So many people. Not one or two or 10 or 20. Uh, you've heard in the sermon series, our church on both campuses now numbers over 3,100 people. And that, and all those pictures, maybe in the back of your mind make you wonder about today. You know, the focus of today's service is that we're not done. That not just a few of us, but all of us, that you personally have a calling and a commission and a mission from God to invite more people. 
to reach out to your family, your friends, the person you're related to, the person you're dating, your next door neighbor, your teammates. The message is it's time to love them, serve them, bless them, invite them, evangelize them, share the good news with them. And when you hear that message on a Sunday like today, you might kind of look around and say, uh, is that the best idea? I mean, if all of us would invite just like one person who would come to church next Sunday, what, how would that work, Pastor? I love my friend, but I don't want him to sit on my lap for 70 minutes. <laughs> like, isn't there enough going on here? Hasn't been God, God been good enough to us already? And, and with so many people, isn't it important to like slow down and to serve them well, to disciple them and not just get them through the doors and in a seat? Should we really be pushing after all the, the projects, all the efforts, all, all the ministry? Isn't that, I don't know, presumptuous, unwise? You know, it's kind of like if you were sitting with uh, your best friend who had five kids in seven years and you can barely have a conversation because the kids are just running like mad throughout the house and he, he says, you know, my wife and I are thinking about having more kids. And you say, your fertility is not my business, but maybe, maybe, maybe can we talk about this? Can we push pause in the baby making plan for a little bit? This is enough already, isn't it? You know, so that'd be a good question and and maybe it's not just the, you know, the congregational numerical thing. Maybe it's more personal for you that when you hear that like, classic Christian message that we should share our faith and tell others about Jesus, maybe you think, I, I mean, is it really my job to tell another person what to believe? I don't want to force my religion, cram a Bible down someone's throat. And I don't know if I'm even the type to do that. I mean, I would never like knock on a door and, and talk about religion with someone. I don't want to sabotage like a good friendship that I have. And I don't even know like a ton about the Bible. I can't answer the, the toughest questions about science and religion, about sexuality and Christianity. I don't know if I'm really the person to be doing this thing that pastors always talk about, to go and to share your faith. I'm not sure your reaction to this basic encouragement to go and invite more people. But if you had hesitations, I wouldn't blame you. And that's why today I want to try to get on the other side, get over those roadblocks so that you would come to see yourself as the perfect person to be part of this mission. Because if you ask me today, well, well Pastor Mike, why, why would we do this as a church? Why would we keep pushing so hard when it comes to outreach and evangelism? Here'd be my answer. Because they started it. The first followers of Jesus when their church exploded from a, you know, a little medium-sized church to this massive megachurch, they did not slow down. They did not push pause. They did not decide that they had enough people through the doors. They kept going and going and going and going. If you asked why 21st century Christians in big churches should keep going, my answer would be because the first century Christians started it. <laughs> Let me prove that to you from the Bible. Uh, the book of Acts tells us things like this. When Jesus left, that Peter stood up in a group numbering about 120 people. And maybe a third of you who are here today. That was the whole church. A chapter later, however, the day of Pentecost came. Peter preached and we read these words. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. A few verses later, Acts 2 says, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. But Acts doesn't end with chapter 2. We get to chapter 4. The number of men, it says, grew to about 5,000. And then in Acts chapter 5, it says more and more men and women 
believed in the Lord. And you get to the end, 5,000. I mean, that's a huge church. How do you do that well? But the apostles didn't take 10 years off to figure that out. Instead, Peter kept going and John kept going and the apostles kept going. And then a guy named Paul was converted to become a Christian and he started going and he went on like international, intercontinental, intercultural mission trips. First one, then another, then a third. Then he got arrested. They took him to Rome. So he kept preaching to the guards and once he got out, he kept going and going and going to the book of Acts ends in chapter 28 and this is the final verse. Paul proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Apparently, the early Christians did not care if there were 10 of them or 100 of them or 100,000 of them. They never, ever, ever took their foot off this mission that Jesus had given to them. But why? There was so much to do. There were so many people to serve. There were not enough hours in the day. Why would they be so incessantly committed to sharing their faith? And why would you and I be so today? Well, the goal of my message, if you like to take notes, is to give you three biblical reasons why that's so. Three reasons that we still, as modern Christians in a big church, go, love, serve, invite, invest, and evangelize. So grab a pen. Today I'm going to give you three reasons, three Bible passages why God is calling you today to be part of his great mission to reach the world. Here's the first one. Because Jesus said so. When you were 12, um, did you find that as a convincing argument from your dad? Because I said so. <laughs> your dad probably said it just because he was exhausted with you and he didn't want to explain himself. But when Jesus says it, um, I think we should take it seriously. I mean, Jesus is the Son of God. He is the truth. When he speaks, it's not just because he's frustrated or exhausted. He speaks what's good and right for his people. And the fact that this is the same Jesus who sacrificed his very life that you could have life with God. He died on a cross so that you could have a crown in heaven. He's the kind of guy that you should trust. So if he says it, it makes sense that his followers would do it. And here's what he said. Matthew chapter 28. After his resurrection, Jesus said, Go and make disciples of all nations. And just in case you uh, skip that verse as you were reading the book of Matthew, Jesus said this in the Gospel of Mark. Preach the good news to all creation. And just in case you somehow got a copy of the Bible that didn't have Matthew or Mark, um, Jesus said in the Gospel of Luke, repentance and forgiveness will be preached in my name to all nations. And just in case like your friend ripped all the Gospels out of your Bible, Jesus said this in the book of Acts, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria. Period? Mm -mm. No, and Samaria and, Jesus said, to the ends of the earth, deuces, Ascension. He leaves. <laughs> so the last thing that Jesus said to his friends was not, well, you'll play it by ear. No, the last verbs he used with them were go, make disciples, preach, forgiveness will be preached. You will be my witnesses to the very ends of the earth. As Christians, we don't believe that Jesus' command to love our neighbor expired after the first century. We don't believe the promise that our sins are forgiven by his blood expired after the apostles died. And in the same way, we don't believe that the mission that Jesus gave us has changed. He is the same God who said back then, go, preach, share, love. 
And he's saying that to you and to me today. Your Savior, the one who shed his blood to rescue you from your sins, has clearly said, go. Which brings us to reason number two. Why else would you go and share your faith? One response would be because some people that you know don't go. You know people, I bet a lot of people, double-digit people, maybe more, who don't go to church on a regular basis. Now, you might say, well, that's, I mean, not a huge deal, right? You don't have to be in a church to be a Christian. You don't have to go to church every Sunday to believe in God. And that's true, right? It's not just the only saved people are here in this room or in a church on a Sunday morning. But here's what I've seen to be true 94% of the time. I've seen that when a person loses connection with this, a regular church service, they very often lose connection with this. The book that has this unique message of the free forgiveness that Jesus offers us. Have you seen that to be true? Like when you were 15, maybe if your parents gave you the choice to come to church or not, and you said, I'm good. Did you still have a great habit of reading the Bible even when you didn't go to church? Yeah. I mean, you can. It's not impossible. But in our busy lives, it's really easy to take for granted the connection that we need to this book. I had coffee with a guy this week um, who said, I've always been spiritual. You know, I still pray. I'm connected. Uh, but, you know, something's just missing. And I said, well, for sure. Like, imagine if you texted a friend, boop, sent the message. And the next day, you texted him again, boop, sent the message. The next day, boop. And it's just the one way you sending messages to your friend. Would you call that a great relationship? <laughs> no, you need to hear back, right? There comes a point where you realize this is not a healthy relationship. In the same way, a person who believes in God and prays to God and asks God for help but doesn't hear the response of God that he shares in this book has a, a shallow, not robust relationship with our Heavenly Father. It's not that you can't be saved. But I would contend, as we said in the baptism today, that it's really hard to believe the amazing things that God promises us through Jesus. And there's a lot of people that you know that just don't go, not because they're anti-Jesus or anti-religion or oh, I don't want anything to do with the Bible. They just, you know, got out of the habit. Something happened. It was busy. Tournaments on the weekends. They got a new job, moved to a new city, and they just never made a, a good connection. The, the pastor that they had a, a close connection with left and they kind of drifted and now it's been years, sometimes decades. And if you would just invite them to come with you, now you might be shocked at what happens. I think of the passage in Hebrews chapter 10. It encourages us, let us consider how we can spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And even in the first century, they understood, you know, sometimes people get in the habit of not meeting together. So what do we do? Well, we encourage people to reconnect to have a Sunday habit that hopefully leads to a daily connection and conversation with our Heavenly Father. You know, please, if, if you're a member of this church, don't, don't freak yourself out with all the things that might go wrong. Convince yourself that you might be the person that God uses for things to go right. If I knocked on your brother's door and invited them to church, they would say, who are you? I'm a local pastor that wants to share my religion with you. 
<laughs> like a slam door. But if you invited someone, someone that you know, someone that you love, someone that trusts you, man, I wouldn't be shocked if they came. Let's do a quiz. How many of you are here at the core today, not because you just happened to walk by the church and came through the doors or saw some ad on TV or Facebook? How many of you are here because someone you know invited you to come? Hands up nice and high. Keep them up for a second. Wow, that's crazy, huh? 25, 30, 40% of the people who come here come here because of a simple invitation. You don't have to answer every biblical question. Some people just get out of the habit and, and God is going to call you and use you for that simple next step that reroutes them in the good news of Jesus. So, why should you share your faith? Because Jesus said so. Because some people don't go. Uh, but here, I think, is the most important reason, number three. Because some people don't know. <laughs> I was thinking of this when we were singing um, those songs today. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son to save us that whoever believes in him will live forever. There is someone that you know and love that does not know that. Like, lo basico, the basics of the Christian faith that we don't get to heaven by being really good people or better than the bad people, that the way you get eternal life is simply through believing in this great gift that God has given us through his son, Jesus. Now, I got to tell you, I'm, I shouldn't be shocked by this, but it's almost always shocking to me that when I ask that simple question to people, and I do it all the time, if today was your day and you died and you had to stand before God and he knows everything about you, you know, the highlight reel, the best moments, and those embarrassing moments that you hope no one finds out about. If you're standing before God and he asks you, should I let you into heaven? And tell me why. Do you know what 82% of people say? I've had this conversation um, three times I can think of in the last month. Uh, all three people had a church connection somewhere in their past Asked person number one, do you think you're going? They said, I, I think so. I've tried to be a good person. Asked person number two, they say, I hope so. I've tried to be a good person. Asked person number three, and they said, yeah, I think I'm in because I've been a pretty good person. Right? In our community, saturated, saturated with so many churches, so many Christians, we might make the assumption that people understand the basics and they're just challenged by the more advanced parts of Christian theology. I just want to assure you today that it's not true. It's not true. The human heart assumes that just like you have to work a lot in school to get a good grade, and just like you have to work a lot at work to get a good raise, so also we think you have to work a lot for God to get a place in heaven. But that's not what Christianity teaches. Christianity teaches that all of us have fallen short. You might not be the worst person in your family, but neither are you good enough to stand in the presence of God, that the only way for you to get in is if Jesus does everything. If you're not a co-savior with Jesus Christ, but he 100% finishes the work of forgiving, redeeming, and saving you. This is why the Bible says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Maybe some of you didn't know that until this very moment. It's not Jesus plus it's Jesus, period. In fact, I have some homework for you. It's going to make your palms sweat, but I hope you do it. I want you to ask someone that you assume knows the answer to that question, that question. 
Ask your brother, your sister, your cousin, your grandma. If today was your day, do you think you'd make it to heaven? Listen to what they say. Man, I bet you will be surprised that so many people right here, so many people who have a church background don't know the very basics that forgiveness is a free gift that comes through the name of Jesus Christ. I think of Acts chapter 16 where the Apostle Paul has a conversation with this jailer who didn't believe. He says, the jailer brought out Paul and Silas, these two Christians, and he asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? What do I have to do? How, how do I fix it? I, I've been a perfect person. How can I make this up to God? You see their answer? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Period. Getting right with God and getting a place in heaven is not something you do. It's something you receive. It's not like Jesus starts you on the race, but you got to run the last 5K. From start to finish, your relationship with God is all about Jesus, period. There are people that you know that don't know that. And God wants you to tell it to them. God wants them not to wonder, not to have to hope, not to be looking in the mirror trying to earn their salvation, but just to to rest and rejoice in this free gift that some of us have known since we were really little kids. So, put that all together and I hope I have a persuasive answer. Why should you go and tell your friends and the people you know about Jesus? Because he said so. Because <laughs> it might take a simple invitation because some of them don't go. And because, I think, a massive percentage of them don't even know the simple message of salvation that can save and if you're not convinced by that, talk to me in the lobby and I'll try again. <laughs> there are more reasons, more passages, but I'll, I'll leave it to those three points today. Now, before I say amen, uh, let me make this super practical. Okay? So if you're convinced, all right, I, I guess I am a person that Jesus is sending. How does this work? What do I do? I'm going to give you some real clear next steps. Uh, grab a pen and write this date down. There's not a blank in your bulletin for this one. But our church is going to be hosting a huge evangelism event in five months it's on March 2nd and 3rd. I want you to write down those dates right now. March 2nd and 3rd, and it's called Everyone Outreach. So we've been coordinating. We're bringing in some like outreach and evangelism experts to help you uh, kind of see your place, overcome your objections, see yourself just like the early apostles did as messengers of God's love. Now, some of you are thinking, March? Pastor, I don't know what I'm having for lunch. You're talking to me about March. <laughs> That's true. And if you have kids, I mean, you're just trying to think of how you're going to get through the service, surviving. <laughs> um, but I know your calendar is going to fill up really quick. And this is a really big deal. We don't want to spring like a big weekend event on you at last minute. So I'd love for you to put this in your calendar, save the date, reserve that spot, March 2nd and 3rd. We would love to have 100 plus people who are joining us on this mission, not just to serve our church internally, but to reach out to this community that so desperately needs Jesus. But, Last thing I want you to write down. If you don't want to wait five months, let me give you a really crash course, a quick crash course on outreach and evangelism, what I call Outreach 101. If you ask me how I do it, how does this work in real life? Do you knock on doors? Do you stand on street corners? Like, how do we share our faith? Here's my simplest recipe to invest and invite. Um, actually, this past week, I had lunch with a local pastor who's kind of new to the Fox Valley. And he asked me that question, because um, pastors still ask this question, like, well, how, how do you actually do that? You know, when your brother hasn't gone to church since your mom got a divorce and there was some drama with her pastor years ago, 
Like, how, how do you do that? And when you live in a culture that says don't talk about politics or religion, you don't like mess with a friendship by like forcing Jesus into it. Like, how, how, do, you, how do you do that? And when you're kind of new to the, you know, how does this actually work in real life? The pastor asked me. And I thought about that. I mean, I've been here for nine years in the Fox Valley. I've seen uh, a lot of friends, teammates, neighbors, uh, a bunch of you here today kind of connect. Like, how, how does this work in real life? <laughs> yeah, I'm the kind of guy that's always been looking for shortcuts as a Christian. Like, what's the one thing, what's like the one question that I can like Jesus judo flip them? You know about this? Like somehow we just thought we were talking about the weather and the Packers and like, boom, I got Jesus into there. Like, how do you, <laughs> like, oh, you got a new bicycle. Interesting. Well, if you crashed on that bike and died and stood before God, do you know our life? Like, <laughs> like <laughs> your friends are looking like, how did that happen? I don't know how we were talking about Jesus. No, like I've, I've always been looking for the Jesus judo flip. It, it, it rarely works. It just makes things awkward. But he, here's what I think does work. When you invest in someone's life, when you stop trying to share your faith with like 70,000 people and you think about seven people and just love them well, when you try to be the best partner, the best employee, the best neighbor, when you actually care about someone enough to ask them questions and listen to their answers and pray for the things that they need, when you stand out by the way that you love someone, Jesus said that's letting your light shine in a dark place, and you show up and you make food and you, you introduce yourself to the next door neighbor who doesn't know any of the other neighbors. When you just share a little bit of the love that Jesus has given to you and invest in someone personally, maybe not today and maybe not tomorrow, but things just happen. You know, everyone goes through stuff in life where they kind of realize they need something more. And if you have loved a person well and they know that you are connected to something more, to someone more, man, you'll be surprised. You don't have to Jesus judo flip anyone. You don't have to squeeze in like a Bible in their glove box without them looking. Instead, evangelism becomes a much more relational conversation. Just sharing the peace and forgiveness that you have found in, in a natural and non-pushy way. This is, I think, the secret sauce to outreach is to avoid shortcuts and simply do the things that Jesus said, to love people well as you have first been loved. Now, maybe you're in church and you, you think about your brother or your best friend. I mean, if, if you have loved him well, how easy is it to text and say, hey, this is random, but I thought of you in church today. It was at this part in the sermon. Can I share a link with you? Nothing crammed down your throat about that. Or, hey neighbor, I know you're dealing with cancer right now. It's super scary. I just learned that our church is about to launch this whole series of messages about how you move from like panicking and being afraid to a place of peace and confidence. And I'll still love you if you don't come. But if you want to come, let me know. I'll pick you up. Yep. <laughs> Stranger knocks on my door. <laughs> I think, who's that? <laughs> if a friend texts me, I say, look at that. So love people, invest in them. You'll be surprised what a simple invitation can do. After our first service this morning, a, a gentleman came up to me. And he, he said, Pastor, I've got to share this sermon I just heard with you. Um, it was about a, a pastor who said, this church will die. 
Historically, every Christian church has died. Do you know that? The churches we read about in the Bible, the church of the Ephesians and the Colossians and the Philippians, they're all dead. They're literally piles of rocks. Are you inspired? This is the end of the sermon, by the way. (laughs) No, that's true. Every church, even this community, just has seasons, you know, where people come and then seasons when people go. And I have no doubt that we will be exactly the same. But right now, well, God has given us a season. When God has given us incredible people with incredible love and incredible connections, musical talent, digital outreach, a partnership with Time of Grace, this is just like an open window that God has given to this church that will not last forever. And that's why I want you to join me, to join us, to say, we're not going to stop. Now, right now, don't stop, can't stop, won't stop. We're going to go and go and go because there's someone that I know that doesn't just not go to church. They don't know the simple message that has changed my whole life, that God is love and he loved me so much he gave his one and only son. So, my brothers and my sisters, uh, members of our church family and guests, ready to go? Then let's pray. (laughs) Uh, God, uh, give us courage. Um, of this idea that somehow and in some way it's going to work every time. To think that there's some recipe or shortcut or silver bullet. It's not what happened to Jesus or the apostles. And yet, God, if we're persistent and if we're courageous, we can see people's family trees changed for the cause of Jesus. Uh, Give us thick skin when we need it. Give us big, compassionate hearts. As your word says, help us to be quick to listen, slow to speak, that we can understand people's stories and their questions and may your spirit guide us to give the best answers in the moment. Um, Father, I don't want to be greedy. It's such a gift to be the pastor of this church, but man, I know what it would mean when some of my, my friends would sit here to hear about your son. I know what it would mean to some of the grandparents here today to see their grandson or granddaughter singing the praises of their Lord and their Savior, Jesus. Um, you have a heart for the people we love, even more so. So God, help us to do what we can in this moment. Bless us with a contentment, whatever the results. Help us to believe that faith comes from hearing the message. And this is the message that we get to preach in Jesus' name. We pray this all because of your Son, our Savior, who has not changed. And all God's people said, Amen.